Damn, what's going on, man? How you doing there, Rob? Oh, well, I'm getting a little sleepy over here on the East Coast. That's yeah, I apologize. How's my level? Am I talking at a decent... Is it loud enough? Yeah, sounds good to me, man. Sounds good to okay. me. Perfect. I'm just watching the end of the game with my uh, my daughter and my eight, eight-year-old boy, so we're well, good to go. All right. Well, uh, let me ask you this first and foremost. What's their breakdown of the game so far? Are they, uh, they big Jalen Suggs fans? Let me ask my 16-year-old daughter. Claire, are you? what do you think of the Gonzaga game so far? She hasn't. My 16-year-old daughter hasn't really been paying attention. Jake, Jake, my eight-year-old son. What do you think about the Gonzaga game tonight? Gonzaga's blowing them out. Gonzaga's blowing them out. That's what he says. I mean, his analysis is almost as good as yours. <laughs> yeah, he, he could take my job. That's for sure. Um, all right. So I think the the place to start is just you know it looks like Jalen Suggs is. Uh, is, is is I don't even know if saying that he's back is the right way to phrase it, but um, you know he's uh, he's still well, he's still yeah. awesome. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing with with Suggs once he got to WCC play is the fact that he's been turnover prone, and I think a lot of that has to do with teams finally getting a chance to really break down film and be like. All right, what do we want to force him to do? We want to force him to make jump shots. We want to, you know, crowd the paint, um, make him try to thread the needle because he's a guy that likes to make the difficult play. Um, and more times than not, he's made it over the course of his career and he's made it early in the season. But now when, you know, league play comes, all the windows get just a little bit tighter and they're able to kind of, you know, bait him into thinking something there has been there and it hasn't been there throughout the course of the season, but he's played very well tonight. I mean, he's been tremendous. That's for sure. Yeah. I've, I've always thought that he's at his best when he decides um, I'm going to get to the basket and no one's going to keep me from getting to the basket. And he allows that to kind of uh, set everything else up um, with his game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing with, one of the other big things I see with him is he's always in attack mode and coach few loves his guards to always be in attack mode. He doesn't want you second guessing. He doesn't want you thinking twice uh, in game situations. He wants you just to go with your gut, you go with your instinct and make a play. Um, they'll worry about and they'll work on, um, you know, fine tuning reads and fine tuning different things in drill work in practices um, but come game time, just play. And if they've worked on the, the, the drill work and the fine-tuning of things enough in the practice situations, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become evident over the next uh, couple weeks and couple games. So in, in the past, um, you know, in, in recent years, BYU has always kind of been uh, the place that, that um, Gonzaga kind of slips up. You know, there were a couple years where it was their only loss in – uh, WCC playing happened at home when, um, in the last game of the regular season. Uh, I think last year they lost by, was it 15 at BYU? So what is it about this this BYU team, this BYU program um, that is just kind of, it's difficult for Gonzaga to match up with? Well, I think a few years back when you looked at when Dave Rose was there, they were playing this, uh, I don't want to call it a funky zone because that wasn't what it was, but it was a zone where they were going to gamble early and they were going to kind of put Gonzaga kind of in 
funky predicaments where they had to make a decision. Do I, do I try to score early in the shot clock or do I not? This is kind of a questionable shot. Um, and, you know, they've always wanted to play fast. Now I think, um, you know, with, with this year's or with Mark Pope, these teams still want to continue to play fast. I think they're better defensively than they were under, under Dave Rose. Um, but BYU always manages to make things difficult on Gonzaga. Um, you look at the game, what was it, 2017. GU was undefeated. I think they were 29-0, and and they lost at home um, to kind of throw the wrench in the possibility of an undefeated season. Um, BYU's always played them tough, and in particular in Provo, that's a difficult place to play as well. Yeah, I mean, they get 20,000 screaming people in, 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 in a building that's the size of an NBA arena. That's, <laughs> that's never going to be an easy place to play. I also think confidence has a part of it, too. You know, all of these guys have been a part of a program um, that believes that they can beat Gonzaga. And I think that some like that some of the mystique of the Gonzaga program, I think, is just kind of something that – I don't want to say it hangs over the head a lot of these teams. Um, but, I mean, half, like life is confidence, right? If you, if you, do, if you don't believe that you can do something, um, you're not going to be able to do it. And I think that the fact that BYU has gotten it done before uh, is something that certainly has uh, helped them in some of these matchups in recent seasons. For sure. For sure. You know, and I think, uh, again, Dave Rose was a, a tremendous coach. He really kind of provided a lot of confidence for those guys. I think Mark Pope has been a, a awesome hire. Um, he, he has done a nice job of, of building confidence and giving those guys uh, a freedom to play with, a structure within um, to play with with that freedom. And, and I think, I mean, everybody's talking right now about Gonzaga being undefeated, and, and rightfully so. BYU is dang good. They are a NCAA tournament team. I think they're a 27 or 28 net team coming into tonight. They, I, I wouldn't want to play them in the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't want to have played them last year in the NCAA tournament. They're a really good team. Um, you know, so uh, I'll, I'll even go back and say, you know, the, the Marriott Center is one of the more difficult places to play in all of college basketball, especially when you get those fans going. It, it is a really good place to play. I called the game last year with uh, – uh, yeah, I can't believe – I can't remember if it was last year or the year before I called the GU-BYU um, game on ESPN and 20,000 fans, and it was loud, and it was going literally from the start. It was a really good atmosphere, which is so funny because when I was a freshman at the University of Washington, we played BYU the year after I think they won one game, 20,000-seat arena. There was like 500 people there. <laughs> and then to go back years later and see 20,000 people just going crazy uh, was really interesting and fun to be at. I don't think people realize, um, and maybe you know, people, uh, like people that are listening to this and, and – Gonzaga fans do, but I don't think people, especially where I'm, I'm from on the East Coast, realize just how much of a basketball state Utah is. You know, the, the Utah, like University of Utah has a crazy fan base. Utah Valley always has good basketball programs. I mean, the Weber State, Damian, like those guys yeah. are really, really good too. Like that's, that's a really good basketball state. 100% would agree with you. It is an underrated basketball state with the amount of Division One players that come out of Utah high school basketball ranks to going and playing at the Division One level. The schools that you mentioned, Utah Valley, 
Mark Pope was doing a tremendous job there before he went to BYU. And oddly enough, he took the BYU job. He didn't even move because those schools were like seven, eight minutes apart. I mean, it's literally like two exits down the freeway. And you go from Utah Valley to BYU. Utah um, has has had some stretches where they've been really good under Majerus and then um, under Coach Kristoviak. They've had a few years, but in the Pac-12, it's been up and down. Weber State with Damian Lillard, you're right. Utah State right now with Craig uh, Craig Smith yeah. in the in the sure Mountain West. I would not want to be a first round opponent of them in the NCAA tournament because I think I think he is a very underrated coach nationally. And at some point, and I'm not saying the Mountain West is not a good league because it is, but if Craig Smith gets a job at a big time program, he is going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think he's going to eventually. Um, you know, he's just when when you're having that level of success over and over and over again, even when you're losing NBA players like Sam Merrill, um, people are going to start taking notice of that, right? Like it's not <laughs> at some point it's not just a fluke, and it's not because the guy before you recruited a bunch of players that uh, could help you win games. At some point, it's, you're you're a damn good coach, and I think that he's starting to prove that. Um, the the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and and, and then we can kind of move on from there, is uh, I think it was Fran Fischilla, um on the uh, Oklahoma State Kansas broadcast tonight mentioned that he thinks the biggest uh, biggest concern for um, for Gonzaga moving forward is that there just isn't the same level of rim protection on this roster uh, that we have seen um, in in past seasons. Uh, whether it was like a Brandon Clark or a Zach Collins or whoever. And I'm just kind of curious your take on that. You know, I mean, that's spoken from uh, from an analyst who covers a lot of Big 12 basketball throughout the year, and there's nothing against that take. I, I agree with it to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, Fran sees Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor all the time, year in and year out. Um, and so he sees the size with those teams that the, those teams have, and so that's what he becomes accustomed to. And then he'll 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 look down the roster. Oh, okay, Drew Timmy's six ten. He's their only guy that really plays minutes at that size, and, and that can be a become a concern unless you kind of look past uh, those and focus on the skill and the and the the shooting and the playmaking ability. Um, my, my biggest concern, and I've said this before, is front court depth. I agree with Timmy's not a rim protector like a Karnowski or Collins, those guys you mentioned, but he's pretty darn good positionally. If he gets in foul trouble, that's where maybe I can agree with Fran Fraschilla's assessment and the fact that you know they don't have the depth in the front court, um, you know, to withstand a, a opponent really kind of trying to go at you over and over again in the paint. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. I I also think at some point um, it almost doesn't matter when you're as good as they are offensively. You know, I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I think that what's the, the way the season is going to play out is it's going to be uh, Baylor and Gonzaga, wherever they end up meeting in the NCAA tournament, um, is going to basically be the de facto national title game. Uh, and if you look at the way that those teams kind of play, like I don't know quite how much rim protection is going to be a huge issue in that matchup. Um, I'd, I'd be more concerned with the big that couldn't get out and move on the perimeter against mm-hmm. a team like Baylor. And I think that Timmy, um, I mean, he's not uh, hes not exactly 
the the greatest um, on the perimeter, but like he can move his feet a little bit. He's he's not he's not completely stiff. So for um, sure, that that's uh, well, I, and and this is where a lot of it comes down to is okay. So you kind of have to pick your poison. Very few teams defensively can have the ability to have tremendous rim protection and also have the ability to switch whether it's one through four like Gonzaga does, or maybe even one through five, um, which they Gonzaga can do at times, depending on your matchups. It's it's almost kind of pick, pick your poison. Which way do you want to go and which way do you want to build your philosophy? Um, you know, I, I think when you talk about um, defensively and where you're going to be really good or what you want to be, to win a national championship, you need to be in the top 15-ish categories of offensive and defensive efficiencies. And right now when you look at it, there's only a couple teams that kind of fit that profile and fit that build. You're talking Gonzaga, you're talking Baylor, you're talking Michigan State. I haven't looked at Ohio State's numbers over the last you know short bit. I know they're trending upwards, um, but there's been a number of teams like Alabama that have trended downwards, same with uh, Tennessee. Um, but it, it's a short list this year with teams that kind of can fit that bill with efficiency on both sides of the ball. Um, Dan, I don't know if you noticed, but we uh, we we have the real talent from the uh, the Gonzaga broadcast has joined the, uh, the Gonzaga. The, the I can't wait to see. <laughs> I'm gonna have to click on this. This is awesome. I love it. Well, well, thank you, Rob. What a quite that's a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you know, the, look, I, I think I think everything your guys are, are saying is right and. You know, I think that is the one weakness in this team is the ability or the, the lack of the ability to guard, period. I mean, when we look back at that 2017 team that got all the way to the championship against Carolina, I mean, it was a juggernaut defensively. I mean, people forget how good Silas Melson was guarding the ball and Nigel was able to, you know, keep himself between the ball and the, the hoop like few others. Uh, Josh Perkins could defend, and then they had those three guys that were as good defensively as anybody they've ever had in the program at guarding inside. So I think this team is obviously vulnerable there, but with all of that said, I mean, you have to look around college basketball, and there isn't a team on the landscape today that doesn't have a weakness. And I will take this team's weaknesses over most others. And I watched Baylor play several times this year, and although they are – really tough defensively and will physically get after you and they'll pressure the zag team they're gonna they're gonna test them physically but they go through spurts where they struggle to score and they rely on a lot of outside shots and so uh it'll be interesting but i get tired of all the gonzaga baylor talk i mean we've all been around this game long enough to know that number one seeds don't always get to the final four and there's always a team or two that come out of nowhere in that ncaa tournament that you're like how is this team not a top two or three seed? And, and how is it that they lost 10 games this year? So uh, I think a, a lot is to be played for yet. There's still a lot of mystery. I don't want Gonzaga Baylor playing until they have to, absolutely have to to keep the mystery alive and the suspense. But, uh, you know, this, this Zag team is a, is a lot of fun to watch. And, and as I was talking with Coach Fu the other day, you know, I see it as a, an Elite Eight team, and anything beyond that is – 
a strawberry on top, and that's when you got to get excited. I think anything less than the Elite Eight will be a severe disappointment for this team, but you never know what could happen. So, um, you know, you know, Greg, I'm I'm so glad you joined me because uh, I've been sitting here <laughs> watching this game, and we've texted occasionally throughout the night, and yeah. you and I always have these hot takes, and people that you know watch us regionally will think that we're not good friends and we're great friends and we we see the game and and (laughs) we see the game in in similar but also contrasting viewpoints at different times but you know i i think the comment i the the question i want to ask you is when you look at the landscape of college and you think baylor has stretches where they can't score do you think Gonzaga has the defensive capability to put Baylor in the position where they can't score? Because I think Baylor's guards can score. I don't think Baylor's bigs can score like Timmy can score. 100%. And so anytime, Dan, Dan I don't tell you this, if if they're going to, if they're, if Baylor's going to rely on shots 15 feet and out, you know, you have off nights. Now, it, it's their defense that will always keep them close to games, but this Gonzaga team scores like no other team that he's ever had. It scores with such ease that, you know, I still think even against that great Baylor defense, they're going to score 85 points. So the question then becomes, can Baylor score 85 or 86? And that, to me, is the question, because everybody will knock Gonzaga because of their defense this year, and it's nothing like it was in 2017. But I still think at areas in the game, at certain times in the game, it has the ability. It's got the players that can put pressure on the ball to come up with key stops. It's not going to defend the rim. Players are going to be able to get inside there. But still, I think at key moments in the game, this team has the ability to come up with a key stop, and that, that will be important, obviously. Yeah, and I think a lot of that ability to come up with key stops comes down to, to competitiveness and kind of mental uh, kind of toughness. I, I think yeah. uh, Kispert has grown in that throughout the course of his career. I think Nemhart is a huge benefit for Suggs to have kind of in his back pocket of of teaching him and being kind of a security blanket to help him make plays or know that, Hey, if I'm struggling, like I have occasionally at times during WCC play, I've got Nemhart to kind of soften the edges a little bit for me. Um, so I think that's been, that's been key, but Rob and Greg, you look at Gonzaga, they scored like 98 points against Virginia and they're one of the best defensive teams over the last however many years since Tony Bennett's taken over. I don't know if they could do that against Baylor, to be honest with you. And I know I know Virginia has gotten better since that game. Yeah, and I think it's also um, Baylor is a little bit of a better matchup defensively in the sense that uh, when they want to go um, – when Virginia goes small – I'm sorry, uh, when, when Gonzaga goes small, Virginia's not going to be able to match up with them as well, whereas Baylor, like, they can play five guards. They can put Mark Vidal up to five. Um, they have so many good uh, perimeter defenders, um, like Jared Butler and Dave. Really just kind of nitpicking everything with, with both of these teams because both of them are just so good. Uh, it, yeah. 
And Rob, uh, to follow up on Greg's point here about about their defense, they may not have the Rui and the Brandon Clark, particularly Brandon Clark, and the rim protection of the Collins and whatnot. But they might have the best perimeter defender maybe they've ever had. The jump Joel I he's taken defensively cannot be understated. He allows he, he allows Suggs to not have to guard the best offensive player, and I I has become a uh, defensive force. He was pretty good defensively last year, but just gambled a lot. This year, he's gambling successfully but also just keeps man in front every single play. And that, 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 that was the difference against Kia Clark. Virginia couldn't get in their offense half the time because Clark couldn't score over Ayayi. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that to a certain extent. I think Ayayi is undervalued defensively. He's got great instincts. He's got great length. I think the downfall to Kihei Clark is he is uh, a smaller guard, um, which Ayayi can impact. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So Yeah, Clark um, Clark can score against Arjumari Bouye. It was the same idea when they played San Francisco. So, Joel Ayayi, um, I think one of the most important parts of what Gonzaga's season has been is, like, he's really just kind of bought into the role that he's being asked to play, right? Which is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. You know, he, he's a kind of like a point guard by trade, more or less. And, and you know, he's he's now um, kind of being asked to be like a – I don't even know if 3 and D is the right word, but he's, he's really being asked to play a role. And, and I think having a guy that can kind of accept that um, and then excel in it is something that, that really makes a difference. And it kind of sets the tone for uh, everyone else on this roster. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I think, you know – my point about Ayayi defensively is it's more about IQ and it's more yep. about, you know, his understanding and his length as opposed to his just being a great defender. Um, you know, so many times you can get pigeonholed as a great defender because of your demeanor. Well, Ayayi is not going to have that demeanor that certain other guys are going to have, but he can still make impactful plays uh, at the correct times. he's. I don't think he's going to do it every single possession, but he'll do it enough um, to really kind of make a difference when it's needed. Uh, Jalen Suggs is my guy. I, you know, if if there's somebody going off in a game, it's it, to me it's Jalen's the guy that you got to put on him. He He's the guy that's tough enough and he's going to be physical enough. And when he does get broke down, he's got the ability to recover defensively like few players that, that Coach Few has had over these years. I, You know, when when I think about, you know, the best defensive player, it's either he or Anton. You know, Anton, I think, is going to have some important minutes in the NCAA tournament, especially against a, a team like Baylor, who, who does have the physicality on the post. Anton's going to have to get some work done in there. And, and I think Jalen putting some pressure on outside is going to be important too. You know, everybody's in love with his ability to score and his ability to distribute, but really it's his mentality and his desire at 18 years old to come in and play defense, which to me makes him extremely rare and unique, especially in these 20 years at Gonzaga, because uh, nobody coming out of high school, especially with his caliber of skill offensively wants anything to do normally with the defensive end of the floor that that is what separates that kid in my mind that that's where his greatest potential to help this team win a national championship this year comes it comes on the defensive end 
Well, I would I would second what a lot of what Greg is saying is as a freshman, his willingness to guard is something that I haven't seen and his understanding of how to guard as a freshman is something that very rarely is understood. You know, as a freshman, when I was at university of Washington, I thought I understood how to guard. I couldn't guard anybody. I I mean, even my senior year at Gonzaga, I couldn't guard anybody. I I wanted to be in a zone um, (laughs) because, you know, it it helped me out conserve energies. Are we recording this? Are we recording this? <laughs> Come on, Greg. I, yes, I'm sure it's being recorded. When Thanks, starts, Rob. When he starts in the broadcast, <laughs> kind of knocking someone down for their lack of defense, I just I want to be able to hit play and just have this this uh, go out over there. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Well, but but no, you're you're all good, Greg. But a, a big part of it is the willingness and understanding to guard, and then the ability to get it done. Like I wanted to guard, and I had an understanding of how to guard. I just couldn't. I could never get it done. Um, I was a great team defender in being in the right spots, but I wasn't a great individual defender. And I think Suggs has the characteristics and the physical attributes and the mental attributes to be able to be a great defender. And he's shown it more times than not this year that he can do it. And I agree with you, Greg. He, he's put, it, put, put that forth, and, and that, that has been impressive many times this year. Dan, if I could just jump in off of that, um, one thing that I think is great about this Gonzaga team is we have just this really, really great depth. And even down to the ninth and tenth players, we have people like the other freshmen, as I refer to them, as like Dom and Julian. What, what have you guys seen out of Dom and Julian that make you really excited about this Gonzaga team moving even one or two years into the future? Yeah, I, I think they both have very nice futures. Um, I mean, when you look at Strother, I mean, he scored over 20 20- 2,000 points in high school. He averaged 30 points as a senior in Vegas. Um, and he's had nice stretches this year. But in all actuality, are, are you going to take away five, six more minutes from Kispert, who's having a All-American type season to get Strother minutes? Probably not. Um, but he has shown some really good stretches this year that, that makes you think that, hey, he, he's going to be a big part of what Gonzaga does. And then with Harris, same type, same type of deal. Like he's had some head scratcher plays. Like, whoa, what is he thinking? That wasn't a smart play. But then he's also had some really good stretches where it's like, you know what? I like this kid. I think he's got a chance to to be a really good player um, when he gets consistent minutes and he doesn't have to feel like he has to make a play. You know, the first minute when he checks into a game. But again, are you going to take? five, six minutes away from Suggs, five, six minutes away from Nemhart, five, six minutes away from Ayayi right now to give him minutes? Probably not. Um, but he's got a, a – both of those guys have a bright future, I feel, at Gonzaga. Yeah, hey, to jump in on yeah. this, one of the things I've yeah. noticed, just how much these young guys are learning from Corey Kisper. Like you see all these things on Twitter about Dom being out there practicing his jump shots after every game. And that's the kind of thing that you've seen from Corey from a young age to now too, is just being willing to put in the work and knowing that you may not have that all American season, your freshman year, but and maybe not even your sophomore year, but come your junior senior year, you're going to be given a chance in this offense to just thrive. And I'm hoping that's the case with these guys who didn't come in as the heralded like top 10, but these are, 
foreign foreign like low five star guys who can just be stars in this program. Yeah, I think that's I mean that's uh that's a good point. I think that goes back to a lot of what Gonzaga basketball is built on. Um you're going to get your occasional freshmen that, you know, make an impact. Um like Jalen Suggs. Um Zach Collins made an impact even though he didn't start in that 2017 year and then he ended up being an NBA draft pick after his freshman year. Um, but you learn from the older guys. My redshirt year after I transferred from the University of Washington, I, I, I had an idea of what it took to be a successful college player, and I, I, I kind of felt like I knew what it took. But guys like Richie Fromm, Matt Santangelo, um, those guys kind of ingrained what it meant to be a Gonzaga player and how they did things. And then it's kind of trickled down over the course of the last 25 years you know, and right now, the last year or two has been Corey's kind of deal to be that leader and kind of that mentor and kind of show what it means and, and what it takes to be uh, a true Gonzaga bulldog and, and have a successful individual career and help Gonzaga have a successful season as a team. So I, I would agree with a lot of that. Dan, if I could just follow up on something that's completely unrelated to what we were just talking about. One of the things I love about watching the game on ESPN is that Sean Farnham always brings up the Davenport, always brings up spicy shrimp flatbread. So going off of that, what is your favorite food in in Spokane? You know what's hilarious (laughs) is um, the the Davenport is one of the greatest hotels in the entire country. I have never ordered the spicy shrimp You're flatbread, kidding. whatever the heck it's You're called. You're kidding. Never. Yep. Never. Never. I, I don't know a single person, friend, <laughs> anybody that has ordered that other than Sean Farnham. And, and I, I text Sean uh, throughout the college basketball season, and we talk occasionally. I need to ask him, like, what is his deal with the spicy shrimp flatbread? Here's the thing. The Davenport – took that off their menu because nobody ordered it. Oh, no. <laughs> so true. If, if they're taking that off the menu and, and that's the one thing he orders, what is, what is his, like, what is, what is his menu? What is his palate like? I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I'm just going to throw that out there. But, um, you know, you know, Spokane, uh, unfortunately with COVID, I haven't had a chance to get out with, uh, with the family and, and check out many places for meals over the you know the last 11, 12 months. Um, there is a place that I'm looking forward to checking out soon, which is just outside of downtown Spokane called Watts Brewery uh, or Watts Eatery. Um, uh, it's just, I think it's one block west of the KHQ studios. I, I, I haven't been there, like I said, but I can't wait to check it out. I've heard phenomenal reviews. A friend of mine opened that um, literally the week before COVID shut everything down. So uh, I'm going to get there at some point, but there's, uh, uh, you know, with, with a big family, we, we do a lot of takeout, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the yards at the yards brunch in at Kendall yards. Um, I don't know the true name, Greg Heister and I, we've been there for a few KHQ meetings. That's a good spot. Um, people are going to blow me up on this one for sure, but, Tomato Street is a family Italian restaurant that I love, um, and and then I'm a my my family and I were big sushi fan, people, and then Thai food. Uh, so there's a few places on the north side of Spokane. Wasabi Bistro 
And then there's mm-hmm. a new uh, there's a new Thai place up north called Cooney's Thai um, that are really good. So I would love to hear anybody else's suggestions. I got to say, I'm a huge fan of, and I think this is very typical Spokane, so excuse me for not being unique here, but Waddell's, the defibrillator yeah. burger that has mozzarella sticks and marinara sauce on it. That's a go-to for me. I know everyone loves the Cougar Gold Burger, but the defibrillator will do it for me. So Here to, here to pump the Cougar so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. I, I'm not very good on this locker room app yet, so I can't tell who's mentioning the Waddell's. I haven't been there in a number of years. It is very good. Waddell's is very good. Rob Doster, you're going to love this one. Um, I worked on a beer, a craft beer, with the owner of Waddell's about six years ago. It was called Dan Dickow's All-American Pilsner. I don't know if they still have it. Um, I, I don't know if they still have it on tap, but I could take a picture of the, the beer mug glass and send it to you, Rob. Um, it was pretty darn good. That I'm, That's one of my life goals is to have a beer named after me. Like you, that's, that's how you know you made it, Dan. Yeah. How, how well, do you not brag about this every day of your life? Yeah, you got to tweet. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy, Dan. I, I don't even that's, know that story. <laughs> uh, I don't even know that story. Yeah. Huh. Well, Greg, there's lots of things you don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, you want me? You want to? You want me to tell you one of my favorite Dan Dickow stories? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Where are we going? I want, all of, I want all of your favorite Dan Dickow stories. Every single one of them. Yeah. So, so I I don't, I don't know where we were somewhere along the time. I'm a guy that always carries some baseball cards and things like that in my satchel to the games and. And Dan, at one point in time, somewhere along the line, had given me a Dan Dickow NBA card. I think it was maybe been his rookie card with the Atlanta Hawks. And Dan, do you know this story? I don't know if you. Know I, that, I'm I'm waiting like it was curious where this is going. <laughs> it was in my my satchel and the truck parked outside of my house. And I went out one Sunday morning, and someone had had broken in, busted the windows out, and emptied the truck, and grabbed the satchel and. I go walking through the neighborhood looking for everything that they had taken and, and stumbled and, and left behind. And there's the satchel and then <laughs> a little bit down the They had taken everything, but they had left that Dan Dickow basketball card. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. Classic Spokane. Oh, I'll never forget that. Yeah. So they wanted everything but the Dan Dickow. A rookie card with the Atlantic Hawks, but anyway, so I didn't yeah. know you had a like. I would have loved to have known about that. Yeah, that's a classic uh, Spokane story, Greg. I know. I think it would have been <laughs> after going into my senior year of college. I was roommates. We shared a house with Casey Calvary and a few teammates, and I didn't spend summers in Spokane um, because I wanted to stay in the Portland area and play in the summer pro am league and, and work out down there. And uh, I came up for like two different weeks weeks during the year to work Gonzaga team camp and and kind of work out with the current team and things like that. Well, I brought my golf clubs up one year because Blake Stepp and I would always go play golf in the in the summers when team camp wasn't busy. Well, my my car was broken into in front of the house that I rented. They stole everything in my car: stereo, speakers, clothes. The only thing they left 
was my golf clubs. And it was the most expensive thing in the whole entire car. I had a set of Ping I-2s, which at the time were a really nice set of golf clubs. Typical Spokane for you. Leave the Ping I-2s and then leave the Dan Dickow basketball card. Those are the two most expensive things. Well, Dan, I just want to let you know that I found uh, Dan Dickow's All-American Pilsner on the Untapped app, which is like the, the craft beer app. And wow. uh, do, you, do you want to guess what it's what it's rated out of five? <laughs> uh, five star, I hope. It's it's got three point four six stars, which is actually pretty good. Anything else? Yeah, the the, the, the people right. that rate stuff on like the the craft beer apps are uh, are very very judgmental. So like yeah. three point four six is that's pretty good. That's like Not a, that's bad. Like a, so that's like a four or five in real life. So that that is really interesting to hear. So you know, I had I had got to know the owners of Waddell's a little bit, and uh, we had met with the craft brewer, the master brewer, you know, five or six different times, and he had asked the kind of beers that I liked, and I had spent uh, a little bit of time in in Europe, and I like Peroni beer and a couple other things, and they kind of ran with the ideas and and went with it and made it, and yeah, it was pretty good. Again, I don't know if they're currently making it or not. Um, you know, I haven't been there in a few years. Maybe I need to stop in and check it out again. Um, so, also, I don't know if I should tell you this one, but they're, uh, they made one for Casey Calvary. Too, I remember that. Yeah. And it was called Shattered Glass. Yeah. Right? Uh, that got rated as a 3.54. So, Damn. clearly, Casey, Casey Calvary, better, better basketball player, better beer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say this. Uh, I've seen Mark Rippon uh, in Waddell's on the north side before. I've also seen Adam Morrison um, at that same Waddell's. But Mark and Adam did not have a beer. So Casey and I, we win. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You got it. You got, you got a beer in Spokane and Adam Morrison didn't. That, that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know this, man. This is this is my favorite Dan Dickow fact. <laughs> oh, there's plenty out there. You just got to search around, Rob. So this this is what we have to do, Greg. I think we need to uh, we need to get you on every one of these locker room sessions, and the yeah. way they can close it down is to get a the, your get a Dan Dickow story of the night. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are plenty over the years. Trust me. How about the photo <laughs> that you posted tonight, Dan, on your Instagram with? You're in your your Boston Celtics gear, sitting up. Were you at the All Star game or something? Oh That's God! Yeah, that was. You look like a like a Boston kid that grew up on the streets there. Long hair. Yeah, that was uh, Rob. If you get a chance, I don't know if uh, I know you're more of a Twitter guy than Instagram, but uh, the Atlanta Hawks photographer sent me this ma- this picture message today. 18 years ago, today was the O2. NBA All-Star game when Jordan hit that iconic fadeaway um, at the All-Star game in Atlanta. So I was there with my wife, and the photographer took a picture, and he sent it to me. And uh, lo and behold, <laughs> I found it. I was, I was sitting I was sitting two rows <laughs> behind great. Snoop Dogg, of all people, at the All-Star game. We're like he eight looks rows like, up. He my looks like Mark Wahlberg in that photo. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a – I mean, it's the early 2000s. It's the throwback retro Mitchell and Ness era. I was living in yeah. Atlanta, so it's like the distant replays, you know, uh, retro shop. And uh, I'm wearing a Larry Bird oversized shooter shirt with a backwards cap. And thanks for bringing that one up, Greg, because, yeah, that was uh, – that brought back a lot of memories. <laughs> I was Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg in the early yeah. 2000s. That's exactly what Greg, you look like. I, 
I, I have a question. Is his hair dyed red? Like, is it is it dyed orange in that picture? Uh, well, or is it just a weird yeah, he, I think Dan used to do some creative things to his hair back in the day. Like, he, <laughs> he did some creative things to it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I don't know if he'd, he'd own it, but, yeah, there's uh, – <laughs> There's some pro- let me just put it this way. There's some there's some product being used. Yeah, there's got to be some highlights or something. That's what it is. Hey, well, that's why I own barbershops in Spokane nowadays. There you go. Yeah, I think that's that's what that's what led to his his desire to own barbershops, which I have not been to yet. Honestly, I'm, I'm not. No, because you have a you have a hairpiece. <laughs> Yeah, it's the best investment I've ever made. What, are you kidding? By the way, did you? I don't know if you guys heard it, but Chris Holtman went on uh, went on Jeff Goodman's podcast today and and told one of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my entire life. He uh, that when he got the Ohio State job, he got first called by Gene Smith, the Ohio State AD, when he was sitting in a gown in the doctor's office waiting to get his hair transplant surgery done. Um, no. Yes. No. Yes. And so when uh, the, he was like, listen, the, he called him. He's like, hey, would you be interested in the, in the Ohio State job? And he's sitting there and he's got nothing but a gown on, like naked underneath. And, and he's just like, well, listen, can I call you back like in a couple of days? I'm kind of in the doctor's <laughs> office for a, for a procedure right now. And so they ended up after you get hair transplant surgery, I guess, like you're not supposed to they go out in public for like four weeks because your, your head's going to be all swollen from it. Yeah. And so like six days afterwards, he had to go to the press conference. Well, where, there's where hope for you yet, Greg. <laughs> okay. Well, we should set the record straight, Rob. This is, this is my real hair. It's, it's not a piece. <laughs> it's not plugs. It's just that, you know, every year somewhere during one of the games on social media, somebody will say something about my piece looking great tonight. And so my my normal response to it is, yeah, it's the best investment I've ever made. So it just kind of <laughs> feeds the. Uh, this. I'll just say that not out in public for four weeks is kind of par for the course for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I think it's about time we wrap this up. Greg, I'm going to make sure that every time we do one of these, uh, we have Dan uh, pester you until you show up. That's yeah, our tradition. I love it. Oh. Awesome. All right. Well, thank, thanks, everyone, for hanging out. Thanks, everyone, for uh, for talking along. And, and, you know, if you're still listening, please subscribe, rate, and review to the Bulldog Broadcast, which is Dan's podcast. Guys, Sounds I'm cool. going to sleep. I'm tired. All right. Thanks, Rob. What, Greg, what coast glad are you, you on, joined Rob? in. I'm in Dana. New Jersey, so it is uh it's Oh, it's, you are uh, tired. in the morning right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sleeping. You're man. committed. All right. Tell Jeff Adios. Goodman to uh pick up the uh the lunch tab the next time you guys connect. That's for sure. He he owes me about seventeen lunches at this point, so all right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks guys for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks everyone. Yeah.